You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is to go. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And uh, also just want to say that tonight's show is actually brought to you by FGR. And uh, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry was birthed out of the burden to help those in the community and congregations who've come out of a difficult past and an addictive lifestyle. Um, really appreciate them and everything they're doing, making this uh, this crazy world a little bit better place. And um, we are doing a Quay Walker autographed jersey giveaway. It's uh, an away white Packers uh, autographed jersey of Quay Walker. Got the uh, certificate of authenticity, all that good stuff. And with that giveaway, all you got to do is go to my Twitter page, at Packers underscore access. You'll see a tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. And you just retweet that tweet. Make sure you're following the account. That'll enter you into the contest one time. And then if you want to enter additionally, also attached to that uh, tweet, you will see an opportunity to give to FGR, the uh, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. For every $5 that's donated to that cause, it will get you entered in the contest one additional time and give you a little bit better uh, chance of winning that jersey. So uh, with that being said, man, I am very excited about tonight's show. Um, you guys have have heard this gentleman many, many times on Ryan's podcast. You actually got to hear him hang out with us during the postgame show on Sunday night. He was kind of the therapist for all us Packer fans, right? He was <laughs> trying to walk us off the edge. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to do a little special edition of uh, rather than chalk talk, it's going to be the coach's corner tonight. And we're going to talk about specifically um, schemes, you know. We're kind of looking at this offense stutter. And uh, kind of got me and Ryan to thinking. I wonder how the, this Shanahan style system is actually going in the rest of the league. But before we get into it, Coach, how are you doing tonight, man? Oh, hey, I'm fantastic, Clayton. Thank you for having me. You know, I just I love talking ball. I love watching the evolution of the NFL and kind of the the chess game that we get going here. So I'm just I'm super excited to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny. This came together last second. And those of you who are tuning in on uh, on Twitter and YouTube, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Obviously, if you're hearing it on the podcast, this is dropping on Tuesday afternoon around noon um, uh, central time. So uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with us as well. And, and this kind of came together last second. And as I was going through information nerding out, 
you know, you just find out you got another nerd that's available to talk football. So that's why we're here. Right. So um, first of all, just to kind of lay out some ground rules of, of what we were trying to accomplish as far as Ryan and myself and this conversation that we have and coach at any point. The content that you're bringing to the table here, if you think this would be a great time to insert it, you just cut me off and we'll jump right into it. But basically what we wanted to do is say, you know, I know that touchdowns as of a couple of weeks ago at this point last year, touchdowns in the NFL were down a hundred touchdowns from last year. So the offenses are really sputtering and you kind of see that. And it sounds like a built in excuse. You know, when you see your favorite team losing or, or struggling, it's like, well, this must be everybody, right? It's everybody wants to find those commonalities. But when we got to thinking, it was like, man, you know, San Francisco, they're struggling on offense. Right. And, and you know, the LA Rams are struggling on offense and these seem to be the teams that have really, brung this this wide zone boot scheme into the league right and um kind of got us digging so that's exactly what we did first question i want to ask you do you do you refer to this scheme coach as a wide zone boot scheme because that's kind of what i've heard is that how you acknowledge it too yeah yeah obviously there's going to be all sorts of different branches of it right you're going to have inside zone you can have a wide zone you can have outside zone but they're all kind of cousins, I guess. They're very, very similar thought processes in that you're going to have zone blocking path. You know, you're you're going to be, everybody's kind of moving in one direction. You can split it with a plus one, but the theory is the bulk of it has the line moving in one direction. Now, there's some things you can do with some lock and ISO and all that, but the whole theory behind it is teaching the offensive line to move as one, get the defense flowing one way, um, introduce some cutback lanes or then introduce some, you know, kind of RPO things on the backside of it to really put some defenders in conflict. So um, even though there's some caveats here and there, the zone blocking family is, you know, pretty much the same family. Yeah. And I know it goes way back and it, it seems like one of the first people to, to use it was Alex Gibbs. And then, of course, you had, uh, you know, Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, really utilize those cutback lanes with you know, with Terrell Davis and and those guys and and that run that the Broncos went on so many years ago. Um, the thing that strikes me as odd is I was doing this research and and I remember when this first dropped, it was man, the boot off of the boot action in this offense was huge. It was a staple. And you know, I'm thinking back to Sunday and I'm going, did we run one boot? <laughs> you know what I mean? So maybe that's the offense shifting a little bit. I don't know. But the other thing that stands out to me is is Seattle's offense. You know, they're the darling right now. And it's so odd to say, you know, they get rid of Russell Wilson, right? And and now they have uh, Geno Smith at the helm. And you've still got Shane Waldron there, which Shane Waldron obviously was the offensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams back when they were really the talk of the town. They were the cute chick on the block, right? And, um, yeah, so to see them come out and, and just ranking these offenses, you know, in my opinion, the most important statistic is points per game. So I'm going to rattle some of these off real quick and just kind of give you an idea of where they rank. Number one, as far as these schemes, first of all, there are 13 teams that run this or, like you said, a cousin of this style of offense, right? And of those 13, obviously, of 32 teams, if my math is correct, that's roughly 40% of the league that's adopted this. That kind of explains why offenses are down a little bit. It seems like defenses are really starting to catch on, but I digress. Seattle, their offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, he was hired from the L.A. Rams to come over. They're averaging 26.1 points per game. That's fifth in the NFL. Cincinnati comes in second. Um, on this list, I should say, 
They're eighth in the NFL in points scored per game, 24.7. Obviously, their head coach is Zach Taylor. He came from the L.A. Rams. Um, you've got New England, which is really fascinating. I don't know if you followed New England at all, but they're doing a complete overhaul of their offense, and they're implementing this, what they refer to as the San Francisco wide zone look, right? And um, they are currently 11th in points per game at uh, 23.5. Atlanta in fourth place on this list. They're 13th in the NFL in points per game, 23.3. And then Minnesota, Kevin O'Connell coming over from the L.A. Rams. Um, he's coming in with 23.3. They're 14th in the league. So those are kind of your top five offenses that run this style scheme. Arthur Smith in Atlanta was kind of unique to me because he was a tight ends coach in Tennessee, if I remember correctly, when Matt LaFleur was actually there as the offensive coordinator. So that whole you know system kind of came through. But does anything stand out to you with those teams right off the bat, Coach? Um, I guess it's just a little bit interesting that, you know, New England is in there because they do um, – they're very multiple with what they do with their offensive line schemes. Um, but otherwise, those things really – those teams really kind of sync up what I would think of as like the L.A. tree or the Shanahan tree. Yep. Definitely. I, I completely agree. And and with the overhaul in New England, what's so fascinating to me is you have, you know, the, the new darling, if you will, is the Buffalo style offense. Right. And, you know, Dayball was there last year and that Buffalo style offense originated from New England. So you've got New England kind of passing the torch on to these great offenses like they're running with their offense and now they're wrapping back around and going, you know what, let's get into a little bit of this Shanahan look. It's just amazing how. It just seems like the hoodie. When, when other people zig, he zags, right? But, uh, yeah, so what I also sure. did was I took um, the two other statistics that I felt are most important to me, and you feel free to disagree um, if, if you'd like, but turnovers, I think, are huge. Turnover differential is absolutely huge. Well, the only thing the offense can do to help with that is not turn the ball over, right? So I took that into effect, and then also I accounted for total yards. So I feel like points per game, Turnovers and total yards are the three statistics that I find most important. And we had a really good conversation offline about, um, you know, gaining yards on first down. I want you to talk about that for a second, Coach. Yeah, uh, for us, gaining that yardage on first down is probably, aside from points, our biggest statistic offensively. That's the one that we really look at um, because we consider first down to be the most important down of the series. You hear it all the time, you know, third down, we got to get to third and manageable. We got to make third down worth it. But our theory is, and it's one that's kind of gaining steam, like, yo, if you don't got to get to third down, don't worry about third down. <laughs> get those plays. I, I mean, make first down absolutely viable for you, right? So we're really looking to get two, five yards or plus on first down. And then that sets up a second in them situation or a second in us situation. And what we mean by that is, if we're at second and six or more, you know, that's what we deem a second and them situation. And we've got certain play calls for that. If we get to a second and us situation, you know, we're much more aggressive. We're more liable to take that shot on that second down play um, or set up an easy shot for third down, knowing that we got one or maybe two more plays, depending on field position, to pick up those five yards because we were just able to get it on first down. So if we get that first down yardage, to a, a, a discernible spot for us, we are a much more aggressive, much more fast-paced offense as opposed to getting us into second and seven and just thinking, okay, get four here to get third and manageable. 
that doesn't seem like a very sustainable type of, of mindset for us. So we're really aggressive on first down. We do an awful lot of self-scouting. Um, so taking a look at our defense, like, a, or excuse me, our offense, like an opposing defense would, um, making sure we're not predictable with formations or personnel or even play calls um, so that we can stay as dynamic as possible on first down. Yeah, I think that's huge too. You know, it's funny because like you said, the 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 big statistic several years ago and, and the thing, the year that stands out to me the most is that run in 2010 with the Green Bay Packers. Their third down conversion was just through the through the roof. They just knew how to convert on third downs, you know, when they had to have it. But what we've noticed is the NFL is kind of shifting to exactly what you said there as well. I heard Michael Lombardi say the other day, no longer is it let's get the third manageable. It's let's just avoid third down. Let's get the first down on second down. You know, that's kind of the thought process. So it definitely goes hand in hand with what you were saying there. And it it's funny, you know, I, I put on the tape just a second ago and I watched every snap from the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks game from Sunday. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to pick up on what they do because I know they run a little pistol action within this scheme as well. And that's something we haven't seen the Packers do to the best of my knowledge at all this year, maybe not even last year. But the last time I remember seeing pistol was when McCarthy was here, but I'm thinking, okay, we're going to see some pistol, we're going to see some, some wide zone run this and that. And, and wouldn't, you know, coach, the very first play from scrimmage, they come out in an empty set. I was like, please don't do this to me because we're all screaming, run the ball. And here the top offense comes out in an empty set on first down. You know, obviously they, they had, uh, I think it was 11 personnel out there, so they were kind of, you know, showing, hey, we may run, try to take advantage of a mismatch. But as the first quarter went on and, and into the second quarter, you start to see them break out that wide zone, and it really started to open things up. Now, I'm not saying the Chargers are a great defense. Obviously, I believe I believe Bosa still hurt. Um, but, you know, they're one of those defenses they can get after the quarterback, but it doesn't necessarily make you a good run defense, right? So um, with that being said, as I compiled all these numbers, I just want to talk about – averaging out those three statistics and and the team that came out the best for me graded out as a 10 the lower the number the better and it's Cincinnati with Zach Taylor they actually of those three numbers combined it came out to a 10 okay and they are currently they are the fifth winningest team in the National Football League at a four and three record if you look at Miami they're at four and three as well, right? When you look at Miami's breakdown of the numbers, they graded out as a 15, kind of the middle of the pack of this group here. And then uh, Tennessee at four and two, you know, Tennessee, obviously uh, they have Todd Downing as their offensive coordinator. He was, you heard it here, a tight ends coach for their organization, just the same as Arthur Smith was. They really like to promote those tight ends. And I think that's huge because when you've got a coach that works with the tight ends, I mean, they really the tight end has to be in sync with the offensive line and the receiving group, right? I mean, that's an important position when it comes to this style of offense. Maybe talk about that a touch, man. What stands out to you about the tight end position in this scheme? Yeah, uh, tight end is huge. And when we get to some of the film that uh, I'm going to be showing you, you'll see, you know, the Packers love to use their tight ends and and a tight end wing set, you know, and and a little bit of different twelve personnel grouping type of stuff. Um, the tight end, you nailed it. The tight end needs to be absolutely perfectly in sync with your run blocking scheme and exactly how to work that. And then these are the dudes that also have to be heavily involved in the in the throw game. Everything from an empty set all the way up to 22 personnel or whatever you run. So tight ends coach is no surprise that they're going on to, you know, offensive coordinators usually see a tight end coach and an O-line coach type of guy um, moving on and then quarterbacks coach. So 
you got to be really in sync with everything that the offense wants to do if you're going to run that position. And it's a really difficult thing to do because uh, you have very limited time to do it. And then a lot of times, you know, your guys also play on special teams. So you're you're sharing a lot of time. So if you're a tight ends coach that is productive and making the best out of the time that you have in practice, you're probably a dude who knows how to manage time, who gets the most out of his players and is really, really good at juggling many things, which makes you a perfect offensive coordinator. Yeah, absolutely. And something that Coach LaFleur said in the offseason was talking about how tied in in this system is it isn't just plug and play. Like these guys have to be brought up to speed and know exactly what every aspect of the offense is. So uh, that's good stuff. The only other point I want to make before we get to your footage here, uh, Minnesota is leading the pack here at a five and one record. And I know that makes all of us Packer fans want to throw up on our computer, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's horrible seeing Minnesota do so well. And when you look at the numbers across the board, they're only 14th in the league in points per game. But the big thing that stands out to me is turnovers. They, they are fourth best in the entire national football league in turnovers. And as boring of an argument as that, you know, comes to or a point to make, you protect the football, you're going to win more games. It's just the way it is. Now, Green Bay, to put that into perspective, they're 16th in turnovers, right? So they're right there in the middle of the pack, and it's really what's hindered them this year, in my opinion. So with all that being said, when I compiled all the data, this scheme throughout the entire National Football League, to the best of my knowledge, 13 teams run it to some some uh, sort of fashion, right? And what they averaged out to, all of those schemes together, all this data compiled, 18th out of 32 teams. So it kind of shows you. In my opinion, the league defensively seems to have caught up with this Shanahan system. And, and the, the real telling point to me is the L.A. Rams. The L.A. Rams are as close to the founder, Kyle Shanahan, as it gets. You know, with Sean McVay there being his offensive coordinator in Washington way back in the day. Um, L.A. Rams are literally 28th in points per game. I mean, just really struggling. Another one is uh, – San Francisco, they're 20th in points per game. Those two teams are struggling really, really bad. So, again, as a scheme as a whole, 18th in the entire National Football League is where we average out to, middle of the pack, maybe even getting into the bottom half of the pack. So, with that being said, let's let's share your screen, and, and why don't you take a second to explain what you think defenses are doing to stop this system? Yeah, sounds good, man. I'd love to. Um, the first thing I'm really going to kind of explain here is – you know, just kind of how the system works and the defense it was set up to, to kind of beat. Okay, so we got the Packers here. Um, you'll see the tight end wing set here. We're going to run some wide zone to the left, more more of an outside zone look, wide zone, outside zone from under center. And we're going to run it to the left. And as you can see, it's a little bit older footage. You know, we still got Jamal back here. Uh, yeah. We got Elton and, and, and Billy Turner. You know, we got – it's a little bit older footage, but um, it's there because this is the look that – Green Bay wants to run or any of these team want to run it against. And here's the key thing for us to notice. It's the alignment and the assignment of your defensive tackles. Okay. And that'll come into a huge play when we get into the, the next clip that I'll show you, which is uh, I believe Rams Seahawks. So when you take a look at this, here is your assignment for this nose. He's going to take a gap. You're going to be C gap sound here. You're going to be D gap sound here. This inside backer is going to flow to B-gap. This backside inside is going to flow to backside A. We're going to be B-gap sound here. We're going to be edge sound here. That's what their rules are defensively. So if we take a look at this, I'll roll this ahead just a little bit to clear the screen. If we're going to run zone to the left, 
it's really easy to get hands on this guy knowing that he is a gap player, not a player player, which is going to allow Elton to get up and hook that play side inside. We can get the hook here from Turner. We can go ahead and get the hook here, and that frees up this wing to go ahead and wall off any flow we get in case we don't actually get those blocks. And then obviously on the backside, we're going to go ahead and, and reach and look for a cutoff. We'll go ahead and reach here, and we'll just get this ball out and run behind the wall player that we have here. And it's really, really easy if everybody is just gap sound. So this is the old style of defense. You know, your forefront, your gap from style that was really, really good against gap teams that used to want to run power and trap and ISO and all that stuff that we saw way back in the day. So as we roll this footage ahead, Green Bay's just going to trade Lazard over here, just get plus one. They're really hoping that these backers here boss, which they did, gets you a little bit better angles on it. And now as we roll this, First of all, you're going to see an unbelievable step from your center. Look at that ball get up, baby. You bet. But then it becomes really, really easy technique-wise for us to go ahead and get hat on a hat here. We know where these cats are going to be. We can start working up to second level. We can get them all scooped because we know the snap count. They don't. We can go ahead and reverse out with a quick toss here. We can go ahead and get the edge. That edge gets blunted really quickly because we're plus one right here. And we can go ahead and get Jamal Williams out into space and let him go run. And this is a, a really easy, um, really successful play that can happen again and again against that defense knowing their rules. Now, if we go to the next one here, um, as I said before, it was uh, Rams Seahawks, which is kind of a good look for us because you can actually see how the Rams are going to beat this. Uh, you can see they're playing with a three front, but take a look at the alignments. Instead of using a three tech here, and a kind of a shade or a nose on the backside, they're going to go even tech here with the nose, and then they're going to play these guys in very important positions called four eyes. Now, the difference between a three tech and a four eye is where you put your hands. See, the four eye is going to put his hands on the tackle and read the guard here and here. That's what he's taught to do, as opposed to a three tech who is just going to shoot the gap. Okay, He's not going to. He's going to get his hands on the tackle and read the guard. And watch what it does play side. The Rams are going to run this to our left, to the defense's left, their right. And what that's going to do is plug up both the tackle and the guard to the play side. Even if they momentarily plug it up, when he gets hands on tackle, you don't get any clean releases to linebackers anymore. So what you're essentially doing is lag teching a nose, taking a double team here and a double team here. And it's so intelligent to align that way against a zone team because now you're taking five of their linemen to block three of your dudes, which frees up these kind of cats. Now all of a sudden you have to use a wide receiver to crack block an inside backer, and that never works. He's going to get flow, he's going to get hat on the play, and they're going to be able to blow it up. It's a really, really smart scheme. It's called a tight front, or if you run it out of nickel, it's called a mint front. It's a really smart scheme that strings this baby out, that wastes some offensive linemen and allows your safeties and your play side inside backers to get in on the play. As long as you get a good edge set by your outside backer, which they do here, it's going to make that thing slow down. It's going to make you eat double teams and you can get free runners to the play. So this is the sort of stuff that we're really starting to see lately in the NFL is a lot of tight front, a lot of mint front that's really doing a nice job of killing some of these zone teams. But this also has its disadvantages, right? If you take a look at this from a pure gap perspective, like we're in 1991 or something, 
this down block here, that's about as easy a down block as you could get. This down block here, it's about as easy a down block as you could get. This down block, that would be about as easy as you could get. We could wedge this thing out, and then we can just simply pull the center around and be a hat up, man on a man to that play side inside backer, right? And this is something that Green Bay actually did. Their very first running play out of the gate in the second half, we saw it on second and six, where they went down, down when the commanders were in a three front. They went down, down, pulled the center around. Aaron Jones got an easy four-yard pickup on second and six. And then for some reason, uh, they just never came back to it. But this is the sort of stuff that will start to um, beat this tight front is this is why we're starting to see a little bit of success from some of these power teams, these Baltimore Ravens, these gap-style teams, is the bulk of the defenses now are going to this 3-4 tight with a little bit of a soft edge. You can cross this any way you want. You can send this cat up, and you can get the kick from the center out to here. Uh, you can bring a man over in motion to kick. And now you're one up, and then your center can simply lead through the alley for that flowing safety. Like, whatever you wanted, you can kind of scheme that thing up because of the soft edges on this mint front. So that's one of the things, kind of that, that super fun chess match, this, this evolution, this circular, cyclical, cyclical, excuse me, type of thing that we see. Um, this is one of the things we're really starting to see. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, and I'll tell you, man, I this stuff, 
I geek out over it. I really oh, yeah. do because when you draw it up on screen like that and you see just how open a power running attack would be right there. And, you know, I watched the Kansas City uh, Oakland game, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas game earlier in the year. And it's one thing that I noticed that the Vegas Raiders did to keep up with Kansas City was they went to a two back set, kind of a little old school two back set. Now, who is that? That is your boy, Josh McDaniels, coming from New England. So what you're seeing is these teams, New England's, you know, assistant coach there with, uh, with Josh McDaniels, obviously Bill Belichick has has had you know this implemented in his offensive scheme for so long. You have Brian Dayball up there in Buffalo, and then of course he takes the head coaching job in the New York Giants, and now the New York Giants are what five and one, whatever the record is. So you're starting to see things kind of turn over. The question's going to be now, and and I'm not willing to answer it tonight or, or prepared to answer it. I should say is will Matt Lafleur adjust? Will he deviate from what it is? He's been doing it. Seems like we've seen a glimpse of it, like you said, on Sunday. It's just when do we get to that point, you know, to where it's okay, we've really got to change and adjust. And the thing that comes to mind for me was when New England played the LA Rams in the Super Bowl and they were mocked up, both McVeigh and Belichick. And I'll never forget they met at the 50 yard line pregame. And Sean McVeigh shook his hand and said, My gosh, he said, the way that you're able to adapt week in and week out to the strengths of your team along with the weakness of your opponent and be able to interchange these offensive, I'm telling you, man, people look at him and, and my argument, coach, is always if I'm building a franchise, my head coach is going to be offensive-minded. That's just me personally. I want an offensive-minded coach as a head coach. And everyone always goes, yeah, but Belichick's a defensive coach. I'm like, you have no idea. That dude is so involved with every aspect of that organization. I mean, watching him work with Bailey Zappi the last few weeks, you see him in between you know, possessions, and he's the one on his knee talking to Bailey Zappi. The dude's just completely hands-on. It's so fitting because – as we're recording this live, we're watching the Monday night football game against the Bears where, where Belichick has the opportunity to pass George Papa Bear Hallis, you know, on the wins list. But um, anyway, man, that's good stuff, dude. That is really good stuff. Let's do this. Let's kind of move along. Is there any other footage you have that you would like to show or outline? Do you have anything else? Well, I guess footage-wise, um, not a ton. Just one important point to make there is, you know, on the backside of this stuff, because you had talked a lot about boot. Um, we've seen a lot of RPO stuff on the backside of it. So teams have gotten really intelligent with that backside outside backer. You know, especially this is kind of the frustrating thing about, like, I get it. Rodgers has a thumb injury, you know, going under center. It's tough. It's tough to do when you have busted digits and you're under center. It's a lot easier to catch and hamper a ball out of the gun. So I totally get that. But the flip side of that is it makes it a lot easier on a defense, you know, pre-snap. If you've got a, a running back and sidecar, you know, we're not talking pistol right now. We're talking sidecar because yeah. now you can maneuver and you can manipulate some of that stuff. So, you know, you, you see in sidecar all the time, if you're running some wide zone, that back is going to cross that quarterback's face at what we call the mesh point. And quarterback's eyes are going to snap backside to see what that backside outside backer is doing. If he's getting nosy and involved in the run fit, that's where you see a lot of the fun stuff, a looky or a spot or a little um, what we call a slip route. Some of that RPO stuff right behind that nosy outside backer, that's where things get really fun, right? On the flip side of that, teams have caught on to that, obviously, and started doing some really cool stuff there, some you know gap exchange stuff. One of the coolest I, things I saw lately was what you call fit freeze. So it's just a pre-snap alignment where if that running back is to you, you're thinking, okay, he's probably going to run away from me to get that 
mesh look. So if I'm the outside backer to the back, I'm going to freeze. I'm going to stay put. I'll be a late fold player if it is run, but I'm going to stay right in this window and I'm going to take away that RPO look that they could have just by staying in this window and that way kind of forcing the offense's hand. If we're, if we're forcing the hand, then we know it's run. As opposed to that, if you're the outside backer away from that running back, you've got fit and you know that they can't possibly hit a mesh point and pull it while looking at you and juice it over your way. There's no way that the, the dynamics of that are going to work out. So you can go ahead and be reckless on the run fit. The second you get a run read, you can be greedy and you can be violent down in setting that B gap and setting that edge and letting those inside backers flow to you. So just some really intelligent stuff that's kind of forcing the hand when you're in shotgun. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult when you're in pistol because you don't really have a fit freeze player. Um, they become fit freeze post snap, so it's a little more difficult on the defense. And then when you're really under gun, that's when it's the worst, or under center, excuse me, that's when it's the worst. That's a really, really difficult read, you know, for those outside backers. So those are some of the things that you start to see that you're like, oh, this is cool. This is how they're starting to attack that. And that's why you're starting to see the evolution of it. Because on the flip side of it, if you're pulling a guard around and you got an outside backer in a freeze position, that outside backer is going to need a break because he, he's going to get popped, dude. He's, I mean, that's a... That, it, it sucks to wear a pole from a guard. Trust me, as a very tiny outside backer, you know, I used to get railroaded an awful lot from pulling guards. So, like, yeah. I get it. It sucks. It hurts. And then all of a sudden that edge isn't set anymore and that thing's going. So just yeah. some really smart things that defenses are doing. And I think that's why we're seeing points down right now. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And isn't it amazing that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about these spread offenses and using the entire field. And now the battle has literally come to this isolated edge of the of the offensive or defensive line. And it's them literally reading the mesh point. And it's so cool, too, because, you know, it sounds like the answer to defending that that mesh point there is the same as it was for a read option, which is freeze. Stay at home, make them make their decision and then attack. Easier and said than done, you know, when you're out there on the, on the field of battle. But um, good stuff, man. Good stuff, dude. I really appreciate your time taking a, taking an extra second explaining that. And and it's just like he like he's saying, gang. This is just a um, just a few little things that defenses are doing to adapt, and it's why you're seeing these schemes struggling this year. And again, Seattle Seattle's at the top of the list, and I'm watching that game and watching the footage just a second ago of Seattle against the uh, L.A. Chargers, and I'm just like, man. Geno Smith is alive. Like he, all of a sudden, he has just been. I mean, he's like Lazarus, dude. He's back from the dead. He's like, I don't understand how you go from. I was never a huge Russell Wilson fan. I also, I didn't get caught up in the personal attacks of he's quirky and weird and, you know, a little over the top. I get all that. But I wasn't a huge, you know, fan of his on the field. But when, when they remove him, from that offense and Geno Smith steps in and it's just like Geno has his feet are alive the way that he's creating separation the number one thing that stood out to me coach and it's hard for me to admit is when I watch that tape compared to Green Bay the last three game saturation it's Geno Smith's legs are way more alive than Aaron Rodgers right now and that's what made Aaron so great and you can see them start to go and uh, it's a hard thing to watch now I'm not on the train of bashing Aaron it's, you know, his numbers are down from a uh, from a grading standpoint, according to PFF. Again, PFF isn't everything, but it is a source, and I like to use it. But with that being said, he's still the third highest graded player on the Packers roster. So when we're talking about 
Aaron's done. Get rid of Aaron. I'm going, man, you get rid of him. You're getting rid of your third highest graded piece. right now. I know he's not played perfect and his off the field stuff gets on people's nerves. But if we're looking to tank, yeah, get rid of him. But if we're going to try to salvage this season, um, we're going to we're going to need 12. I'm sorry. But uh, with that being said, let's do this, man. We had a great conversation in the chat yesterday as we were watching the game live. We all got so giddy to see Zach Tom and how he was going to hold up. And and I'll be completely honest. When I seen that lineup, I went, oh, Lord, they are throwing him to the wolves. Like he's here it is, boys. I, I thought maybe right tackle. Right. But left tackle. It's like, oh, my God. And he comes out and. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched him the entire game. It sounds like you had a pretty good beat on him. But I do know this, not once did I remember going, man, he's struggling out there. He just, yeah, it's too big for him. He really held up. We're going to talk about his PFF grade in a second. But before we do, what stood out to you about Zach Tom and his his first start? Uh, what didn't? I mean, the man's poise, <laughs> his composure is, is unbelievable. You know, he's, he's a young buck. He's a rookie getting his first meaningful snaps against a – a pretty aggressive, pretty fun defensive line, you know? So like you've got that number one, number two, you know, a, a relatively difficult start for him knowing that he's got to protect the backside of, you know, a demigod in green Bay, you know, for his <laughs> team. So, I mean, that the, the pressure and the mental side of it, it was huge, but then the, just the overall play, especially in pass pro, I just loved watching him very fluid feet. Never once was he, not trusting his feet, you know, that's when linemen get in trouble is you, you know, when you get over your frame or you, you start to lean or you, you know, you're not trusting your feet and your footwork. But I mean, he's up the field deep uh, when they're sliding the, the protection away from him. You know, he's getting hip to hip with eyes up with Elton Jenkins and he's picking up stunts and twist game um, like a seasoned pro. And the coolest thing about Zach Tom, and it, it hurts to say it because I love I love offensive linemen. But the coolest thing about Zach Tom is nobody noticed him. You know what I mean? That's it's it's massive to have that. Now he did in my eyes, and I haven't seen a whole lot of um, tape, but watching it live, you know, it, I wouldn't say he struggled in the run game per se, but he had some he had some misses. And it's not that it was missed assignments; it was just technique, or sometimes he just got overpowered. I remember um, a fun little pin and pull where Green Bay was trying to pin Zach Tom down and pull Elton around um, and run into the boundary with A.J. Dillon, um, and it, it just didn't work out. He got his face crossed by the defensive lineman and, and got kind of blown up on the block. and so. But that sort of stuff will come, right? I mean, Absolutely. as you get more and more used to it, especially understanding that pin and pull is a gap scheme, and he's used to just repping a ton of this wide zone stuff. So going back to what you had kind of said earlier, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, of, you know, these teams can be so multiple and Belichick can adapt all these things. Well, a lot of that comes from stability on the offensive line, which is something that Green Bay doesn't quite have yet. Because in order to run both a gap scheme and a zone scheme and have all these rules covered, uncovered, on over, backside, all these things that you have in a gap scheme versus your rules in a zone, which are completely different, you know, you got to have some consistency there. And you got to have guys that are taking all of the reps there um, I think it'll come for Green Bay. I just don't think it's there yet. Um, so maybe that's why we just didn't see a ton of gap stuff when Washington got into some of their 3-4 mint and some of their spread buster, two-gap, one-gap type of things. But on the flip side of it, you know, run game aside, I don't know if the run game was was exceptional for Green Bay at all ac across the board yesterday, but his pass pro was just dynamic to the point where, 
you know, they trusted him so much. They just slid away from him and let him go one-on-one -on -one with Montez Sweat. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is a dude. Yeah. And what's funny is, you know, I know you don't keep up with PFF, you know, I know it's, you're, you're more of a hands-on coach and you, you could probably care less about their grading system, but everything you said matches up with what they had. And it's so funny because it seems like every week I'll watch a game and I'll think they look like they had a good game. I feel like that was buttoned up and, and I'm kind of, you know, cringing, waiting for the PFF grades to drop. But this year it's been pretty spot on with what I feel like I've seen. And yep. what you said about Zach Tom, it's dead on. He was the highest graded offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers. Granted, it was only a 66.1, right? Which still, he was the best offensive lineman, according to PFF, on Green Bay's roster yesterday. Now, what's crazy is you just talked about the, the pin and pull, right? And how he struggled a little bit in the running game. His run blocking grade was only a 47.8. But you talking about his pass set, 82.2, Coach, borderline elite grade. I mean, that's that's as good as it gets in this league. And 82.2 in pass blocking yesterday for Zach Tom. And it's so funny, you were talking about something that, that I never really even think about, man, that, you know, if you're going to run a multi, you know, a multi-angle uh, offense, you know, whether it's, you know, mixing in power with wide zone and things, the offensive linemen have to be versatile. And, and when you talk about what they have to know and what they have to do, isn't it funny how the common fan thinks of these offensive linemen as just big, stupid football players just get out there and get in somebody's way, and they have no clue what goes into it, none whatsoever. And especially centers, my gosh, centers have to know, really centers have to know where everybody other than the receivers are on the field, period. And, and to focus on snap count, to focus on silent count, ID in the mic. Some centers do that. You know, a lot of people just think every quarterback ID is the mic. Not the case, especially with young quarterbacks. Most of the time, you've got a center, you know, ID in the mic. It's just so much that goes into it. I love it. So, um, the one thing that stood out to me, too, and it's a little bit of a negative topic, but I feel like we need to cover it. You know, so many people were saying that Elton Jenkins needs to go back to guard. And, and I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I was one saying, no, he shouldn't. Now, I felt like he was playing really well at right tackle. I mean, he was settling in, I think, in, in the lower 70s with PFF grade. And they moved him to left guard. And, and I was thinking, you know, they're probably right. He's going to come out and have an awesome game. But with Elton, a 50.0 grade from PFF, pass block 41.3, run block 53.4. Elton really struggled at left guard yesterday. And he, I just can't help but think putting him at right tackle and then having him come right back to left guard, fresh off an ACL, like what do we expect this guy to do? You know what I mean? Like that's that's a lot to ask for a player just from game to game. Do you agree with that or am I missing something there? Well, I I agree and disagree, I guess, is kind of a, a polite way of putting it. You know, um, asking asking him to move around is difficult and and – you kind of said um, a lot about, you know, these guys have to be thinkers. They are incredibly intelligent. To me, offensive linemen are the most special people on the football field. Um, if you understand what their job truly is physically and then what their job is mentally, you know, you, you, you'd kind of talk about the center and how he needs to know, you know, where everybody but the receivers are. And that's, that's actually not even all that accurate. Um, the center has to be able to read coverage as well, uh, especially out of sets like empty really? or 10 personnel sets. So that as you're IDing the mic, you need to know, especially in empty, if that outside backer has coverage responsibilities, 
then we're going to go ahead and bump the mic over one. Or if that inside backer has to take number three, which is the running back out of the backfield in a 10 personnel set, you know, then we're going to bump the mic over to this guy because he's the one who can come, you know, all that sort of stuff. So the center does have to know that centers read coverages, yo. I'm not, I mean, it is, they have the best view of it. They can see middle field open, middle field closed. They know where the pressure can come from. That's why they slide the protection to, I mean, they're, Centers are wonderful. The offensive linemen are wonderful, but I digress. I could, I could just take up the next 20 minutes and talk about them, but I won't bore you guys to death on that, okay? Um, so it is difficult when you move them around. It certainly is um, on that. I guess I, I, I hesitate to speak on PFF grades simply because I don't know the metrics. Um, mm-hmm. Eyeball test-wise, just watching the game live, and I'll admit I watched very, very little film of it today. It was kind of a crazy, a crazy day. I got my hair cut for the first time since the season started. So Congratulations, I, man. Thank you. Thank you. I had a big day today, man. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't watch a ton of film, but eyeball test wise, I thought Elton played pretty darn well. And it kind of, I, I guess in my recollection, there was only one quarterback pressure, which you would call a pressure. And that was even in, in my memory, if that's the one that they're calling a pressure, it was a three tech getting washed up the field by John Runyon. So, yeah, he was close to the quarterback, but in my mind, that was under control. Um, doesn't matter. So for a pass, a pass blocking grade to be so low, I guess, you know, before I really speak on that or whether or not he actually struggled, um, I would need to know what their metrics are in grading that because perhaps I'm just a simpleton, but I kind of look at it as that when I grade out my players, I go ATE, assignment, technique, and effort. And effort's always kind of a tough thing to grade, right? But like assignment and technique, I can just go down and, and I'm just plus minus. And I'm just like, yep, you passed the test. Nope, you got to get it done better here, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, so when we're going through and grading that sort of stuff and we're seeing like a 50 or, or whatever it was that Jenkins kind of graded out at, um, I would just be very interested to know those metrics because personally, I thought the entire offensive line pre- played pretty darn well yesterday. And I think if we would have had a little bit more of an ability to run the football from a Green Bay standpoint, um, I think we would have seen those yards per carry really kind of improve um, up in that four range. But again, you know, we can we can sit here and say coulda, woulda, shoulda all day long, but that doesn't really seem to be the MO of Green Bay right now. So it's kind of a new point, right? Yeah, and it, it's, a, it's a great point. And, you know, when you look at the grades as a whole against the commanders, um, the pass blocking grade, 79.8, excellent grade. Run blocking grade um, was a 33.9 in their opinion, and then running grade, 72.3. So basically they're saying the pass block held up really, really well. The reason the running game, you know, averaged less than four yards a pop was because of the run blocking. But again, we don't really want to take the time to dig into exactly how the grading system works. I do know this, that to me, it's all about consistency. It just takes one or two screw ups and, you know, it pretty much ruins their grade for the day. So that's kind of how, how especially it in, Right. Especially in such a small um, um, sample size, right? You got 12 rushes, you know? So if you're yeah. only running the ball 12 times or whatever they ran it, like, yeah, one screw up, two screw ups could really hurt the grade. So I totally get it. I'm just, you know, interested to see those metrics. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at the defensive side of the ball, um, did you did you pay much attention to when the Packers defense was on the field and how they played against the run? Did you did you pay any attention to that or were you more focused on just the offense? 
Yeah. Um, so when I when I sit down to watch a football game, to be perfectly honest with you all, and I think most of your viewers know this, but um, possibly not, I'm not really a fan. Like, I'm not really a Green Bay fan. I'm not really a Washington fan, right? I'm just kind of trying to figure out what they're doing to better myself as a coach and then trying to figure out those schemes and then honestly watching for the scheme fun. So when I see Green Bay starting to come out and sling the fits a little bit or, you know, uh, play with what they call the star um, and, and trying to protect him, with some of the D line movements and the inside backer fits, like that's what I'm looking for. And then I'm also trying to watch how the, the Washington offensive line is going to adjust to some of that. And, you know, one of the ways we saw them get in a ton of conflict early was by going to empty. We, we saw the, the pick six by Devondre out of that wonderful play. <laughs> um, then Heineke learned don't throw to the flats late, especially against a linebacker who's pretty darn fast. Um, but then they started to really pick on green Bay out of empty um, they got that that skinny little Texas out of out of Gibson for the touchdown and, and you know, started to really kind of use the backs and empty a little bit more liking those matchups. So that's what I'm really kind of looking at and looking for just to kind of um, try to continue my knowledge, I guess, as, as a football coach. So um, the run fits, I can't speak on exactly, you know, play by play, um, mm -hmm. but there were there were some, I thought, you know, possible concerns in it, especially from your linebackers with, um, you know, just kind of late flow is what I thought. Yeah. And what's crazy is the highest graded defensive lineman was Dean Lowry. You know, he plays left end and he actually got 42 snaps. He graded out in run defense at a 77.1. He was only second behind Devondre Campbell, who Devondre Campbell put it together yesterday. He had a 94.3 PFF grade. Uh, run defense, 89.9. Tackle grade of 84.0. Pass rush grade of 84.3, which minimal snaps there, I'm sure. It looks like nine pass rush snaps. And then coverage, uh, 91.8. So Devondre showed up. Now, you heard me in the chat. Uh, sometimes <laughs> I get a little too aggressive, but I was all I was screaming all game was Jair Alexander was the reason we lost this game. And it's not just one player, but it's like, man, when we needed him the most, when your defensive coordinator puts your supposedly best defensive player in a position with the game on the line, and it was just time and time again I seen him getting beat, and and you know PFF agrees, fifty three point one defensive grade, and he had a coverage grade of forty six point one. I mean, coach, when when I watch it live and I see it, and then I go back and watch the tape and I go, he's he's literally the receiver was one step ahead of him throughout the entire coverage process. And then PFF agrees. It's like, this is the highest paid corner in the entire national football league. And we kind of hit on it in the post game show. We're not going to turn this into a Jair Alexander bashing session, but you know, we were talking about culture and how there is a culture problem right now in that locker room. And he's been the loudest guy in the locker room, whether it's, you know, complaining that he wasn't a team captain or complaining that he wants to follow the best receiver, or, you know, just, you know, overly speaking negative about, man, if we lose next week, I'm really going to be worried. Just all this over and over and over. And then you come out and lay an egg like that. It's a tough pill to swallow, man. Um, how do you feel about culture? We're getting ready to wrap this thing up, but just from a coaching standpoint, and I know you coach at the high school level, correct? Yep. Culture, I think would apply even more there. Um, what, do you think there's a culture problem in Green Bay? Are we are we missing something from your perspective, not being a Packer fan, and a non-biased opinion? What do you think it is in Green Bay? Hey man, you're starting to see the warning signs. I mean, these are the the 
the things you look for, you know, um, we have a saying here that I, I really believe is true is that there's no such thing as a neutral culture. You're either pushing the culture forward and progressing or you're in the way and you're holding it back. And if you take a look at some of the comments that are either in the media or got leaked to the media or come out from a mic'd up session or some of that, those things, you know, I wouldn't call Aaron Rodgers right now an overly positive person. I wouldn't call Ja an overly positive person. You know, when you hear guys like John Runyon have to start to speak up, you know, somebody who's who's been, you know, relatively quiet, solid leader for you, but now having to speak up um, because of these things, that to me is a giant red flag. Like the, the, the ship's kind of out of control right now, and you got to do everything you can from a coaching standpoint to get control of that. Now that, that comes down to the coach and their style and their relationship with the players and the trust that they've built. Um, and that it's a hard thing to do because once culture starts going the wrong way, there's a, there's a, a ton of push behind it. And for whatever reason in a, in a sports setting, not just football, but in a sports setting, it's so much easier to be negative. It is just absolutely incredibly difficult to build a positive culture and continue building it. And there's the old saying of winning covers up a lot of things, right? So you <laughs> kind of started to see some of these rumblings a little bit and people getting all grumbly last year with, you know, some Lafleur things or, you know, is, is this really where I want to be? And then Devante, you know, they match his contract and he doesn't want to be there. So you, you start to get kind of these signs a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, this starts happening and a couple of tough losses occur and if you're going to ask me if you have a culture problem right now in Green Bay as a fly on the wall, just a guy up out here casually observing like the rest of you, I must say, yeah, I think I think you got a culture problem and you're going to need your leaders to be the difference. Coaches can just sit there and shout as much as they want, yo, but if you don't got your leaders being the difference, you're going to have a major issue. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's one of the things that's coaching 101. I had, a, had an opportunity to to kind of meet Coach K and have dinner with him and I hate basketball, which is so funny. I, I, I cannot stand basketball, but I got the opportunity to, to kind of study him in a private practice setting at, at Cameron Indoor uh, facility. And, and, you know, he talked about communication was one of the big things. And the other was they are a player led team, a player led organization. He sets captains. He gives captains, captains an opportunity to lead and the great teams, which is what Aaron said the other day, Great teams are player-led teams. You know, the culture is taken care of from within. You know, and it's funny you said that about De, uh, Devontae Adams. You know, they matched it, actually gave a little bit better deal. He wanted to leave. Aaron was on the fence for a couple of years about how he may, may want to get out and this and that, tried to force their hand. And and now you've got, you know, what's funny is uh, just kind of came to me, you know, Zadarius Smith. We all, myself included, bashed Zadarius Smith. Well, let him leave. You don't want to be a part of this. Let him leave. And now Jair's speaking up, and it's like, man, there's something going on for sure. And and it's going to take the players getting it right. You know, that's what Coach K said. He, he said, coaches set rules, but players set standards. And if you've got your players in place, the leaders in place, they're going to set standards, and they're going to take that personal. And they're going to want to abide by that and not let their teammates down rather than someone, an authoritarian figure, especially in 2022, saying you're going to do it this way. You know, there's no parcels in the league right now, right? <laughs> it's not there. So, right, um, right. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add, man, as we wrap this thing up, man? 
Um, I guess just kind of thinking about things, this has been just an incredible talk. I always have so much fun talking ball with you. Um, I guess the only thing I'd add is, bro, let's do this more often. I just love sitting down and, and talking ball and learning from you and, and, and hopefully sharing out a thing or two that I've picked up. It's just, it's an absolute blast, man. I love, I look forward to it all day. Now, I appreciate the kind words. I'm going to call BS, though, because you're not learning a thing from me, but it is great to get two different perspectives. Um, you know, like me being from a fan, I've never coached a day in my life. You're in the heat of the battle, you know, coaching high school football. It's great to get kind of a fan's perspective, and it's darn sure good to get a coach's perspective for sure. And, and we do a lot of chalk talk segments. I would love to include you in on those. We'll get on the same schedule and have you come in and let, let you point out a few things that I'm sure I'm getting wrong as we're starting to dissect, you know, what's going on. Because really the goal of that isn't to try to sound smart or, or anything. It's to all of us to understand at a little bit higher level what exactly is the offense trying to accomplish, you know? So I really appreciate your time and it, it means the world to me. Oh yeah. I think, I think that would be an awesome thing. You know, I, I, I see on, you know, on, on Twitter and social media and stuff, you know, these guys coming at each other and bashing each other like, Oh, you idiot. That's not too high. Oh, this is man for, Oh, you're done. Oh, before you try to dunk on me type of things, you know? And it just, it frustrates me because it's like, number one, none of us have any clue because the vernacular is so different team to team. This team's speaking Spanish. This one's speaking Greek. This one's Latin. And like, we don't really know what they call it. We have a pretty good idea, but we have no idea. You know what I mean? So like, if yeah. we all get together without that kind of dunking on, I'm going to show off how smart I am type of thought process because as soon as you do that you're going to look like an idiot right yeah. there's always somebody out there smarter than you right so if That's we true. all get together kind of with that attitude um i think it'd be really fun to kind of learn from each other and pick up on some of these things as we further our, our knowledge of football Absolutely. And that's one thing we try to do with Chalk Talk is I give this a long extended version of what the play call is, right? Of ex explaining every little aspect of it in audio form like we're doing on this podcast and um, and try to give people a little bit perspective. And I know there's going to be occasions where you would go, we actually call it this. And that's great, you know, because even before this new terminology and the new concepts and everything, Back in the day with the old archaic, it was a number system, right? And it's come a long way since then. I, I love just kind of applying all of it for sure, man. But uh, well, when again, gasoline dude, comes back, it's going to be a number system again. Buddy. <laughs> You're just ahead of the curve is all it is, bro. <laughs> exactly. Dude, I really appreciate your time, Coach. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. And guys, gals, thank you all for uh, hanging out with us uh, here on the grind on Tuesday. I know you are out there working, listening to the pod. We really appreciate you supporting us. Um, so, uh, again, make sure you get yourself entered into that contest to win the Quay Walker autographed jersey. And uh, we're going to get out of here. Really appreciate all of you, as always. Let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.